You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the Accursed, in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. Peace be upon you, good morning. Welcome to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam with myself, Walid Ahmed, and uh, my co-host, uh, Brother Khalid Banu. Always a pleasure to be uh, to be um, um, hosting with you, uh, presenting with you, uh, Khalid. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, Assalamu Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you and our dear listeners. It's always a pleasure, Walid Sab, uh, yeah. you know, to have a season presenter. You know, it's always, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in your admiration and, you know, we follow your, your example. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. How how have you been? How how has I, your week been, Willie? My week, um, not too bad, mm. uh, I suppose. Uh, but uh, I was just going to say that I mm. like presenting with you two, for two reasons. One is you always come with a smile, so that's good. Okay. <laughs> and the other is that you come with breakfast as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we have to live up to the name, huh? breakfast show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. yes. So, yes, so I, I see the weather is turning as well, isn't it? Yes. Uh, it's going to be a bit uh, cooler now. Yes, there's going to be, um, actually, for today and tomorrow, so today, Friday, 2nd of September, and tomorrow, Saturday, 3rd of September, there's a yellow weather warning in force in the UK. Yellow weather? Yes. And uh, So, so a, what's yellow warning then? It's It means that uh, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Very well covered, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, no, so there's... there's, there's, there's um, I mean, just in summary, it says that there'll be some sunny spells at times for all. However, there'll be showers and longer spells of rain developing in the northwest, whilst continuing risk of heavy showers and thunderstorms in parts of southern England and also southwest Wales. So this is the the reason they have the yellow mm. weather warning. Oh. Uh, it'll be f- fairly warm some, some in some places, especially in the sunshine. Now, tonight there'll be cloud and occasional rain or showers, and some heavy rain again extending to many western parts, and elsewhere there'll be a few showers, but many places will remain dry and it will become windy in the north, okay. as usual. <laughs> so it's uh, decidedly autumn weather. It than, is, uh, we yes. Are be yes, I mean, for mm. the, currently, I mean, it's remaining warm, but it will turn more unsettled uh-huh. later on. Okay. All right, let's hope that um, we don't get too many showers at the weekend. We've got I a know. charity walk coming. That's right, on, uh, on Sunday. Sunday. Yes. yes. So, uh, yes, so let's hope that the weather holds I know. Uh, favorably until then. I've got a barbecue to go to on Saturday, so ah. I, hope so. <laughs> I hope the weather holds up, <laughs> yes. But um, uh, Are they allowed uh, or uh, barbecues still? Oh, yes, yes, it's the, okay, the host pipe bank. It's the host pipe bank. Yeah, so... Right. Um, I was just going to say, um, as far as uh, the uh, rundown is concerned, uh, we've got a packed program once again. It's mm. an interactive show, so um, listeners can call in. Uh, the number is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or they can, uh, uh, well, use a more modern method, which is uh, Twitter. Uh, and the uh, Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. So either way, if you want to uh, air something, share your thoughts, get something off your chest, then please do ring in uh, and use those numbers to contact us and share your views. Um, as far as the program is concerned, well, uh, we will be uh, looking at some of the stories that are circulating around in the wider media in, in a few minutes, seconds time when I finished uh, this uh, rundown uh, briefing. Uh, and uh, after that, we'll be looking at uh, two particular stories in greater detail. Um, the first is to do with the sad state of affairs of modern society, and that is our connections with each other as human beings. Uh, it seems to be declining. 
giving rise to a great deal of loneliness among some and a challenge to encounter. So the title of this first topic that we are going to be addressing is Can Online Cultural Events Benefit Lonely People? Uh, Something we picked up from uh, the Guardian website. And we'll be discussing this with uh, Simon Hewitt Everson, Director of Services of Independent Age. Uh, So that should be quite interesting. And we'll also be exploring, or we did explore this subject with uh, Robin Hewings. Uh, He's a Director of Services for Campaign to End Loneliness and we'll be sharing a clip of what he had to say during this uh, part of the program. That's between 7.30 and 8.15. So if you're interested in this topic, can online cultural events benefit lonely people? Do make sure you're tuned in, uh, you remain tuned in during that part of the program, 7.30 to 8.15. Now moving on, uh, the second main topic is related to the crisis that we are passing through, uh, this uh, cost of living crisis. Food banks that were the safety net for so many during hard times uh, are really up against it, uh, with donations showing signs of drying up. So the topic that we were looking at is food banks struggle to keep up with demand. So that's the title, and we'll be dist- uh, addressing that from 815 Onwards, And to help understand this issue better, we'll be speaking to Food Security Project Manager of Humanity, Professor Rabia Salim, and we also hope to be joined by Idris Youssef. Now, Idris Youssef is the store manager of Humanity First uh, Food Bank in Mirfield, Yorkshire. So he'll be able to give us his first-hand experience of the situation. And finally, on this topic, we'll be drawing on the experience of Mr. Andy Payne. He is a food a bank manager and financial inclusion coordinator at St. Austell Food Bank in Cornwall. So lots to, lots to do, lots to cover. And as always, we shall have an Islamic angle being presented uh, uh, as part of the uh, program of all that we discuss. So that's the, those are the highlights, all right? And uh, let's hope our listeners stay with us. <laughs> all right. God willing. Uh, so over to you, the, uh, Mr. Bono, what, have you, what has caught your eye as far as the, the news in the wider media is concerned? So one of the um, news stories that um, were I, you know, I came across was the sad news. There's a, there's a news broadcaster. He's he's quite popular. His name is oh. Bill Turnbull. Yes. And this gentleman was suffering from uh, prostate cancer yes. and suffered it with the last five years. So unfortunately, he passed away uh, yesterday. Uh, and um, it's, 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 it just brings to the forefront the importance of having you know more men having prostate checks done and looking after their general health because generally men which is either lazy or you know sort of you know complacent we don't want to go get these things yeah. done yeah. so we don't want to bother anyone we don't no. want to bother GP but these things need to be done it's mm. really important mm. so yeah that that was you know a bit of this sort of sad news so in his case he was caught too late if I had been caught early yes then he could survive well that's it that's yeah. it that's so that's that. why you're saying exactly that's that's the reason you know uh-huh. we, we need to you know uh-huh. Be more, you know, active in in checking these things out. If we suspect something is not quite right, you know, he mm. was sixty six years of age. You know, yeah, which is know. relatively young, exactly. Days, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, one of the other news stories is um, is in the Times is um, there's uh, Liz Trust. It says here, mm. Trust parents anguish over her rise to top of party. Now, the rise of Liz Trust, as we know, today is the final day. 
for for the, yeah. Yeah, the hustings, campaign, exactly. Yeah. And so we will know on Monday who is going to be, mm. you know, uh, in mm. charge. But this story um, is basically uh, alluding to the fact that uh, Trust's parents, both seventy-five, uh, and supporters of left-wing causes, uh, says this is her, her rise has posed a dilemma for them in the fi- in the family. Um, so the parents don't like her policies. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so a long-time neighbour said John Truss, uh, emeritus professor of pure mathematics at Leeds University, was so saddened that he could barely bring himself to speak about it. So his uh, his wife, Priscilla Truss, stood as a Liberal Democrat candidate for Leeds City Council in 2004. And she told her friend that she wrestled with her conscience before the general election a year later when her daughter was a Tory candidate. And she agonized over whether to support her because she was um, her daughter. What was it? Because her daughter, uh, she wasn't so no sure she wants to support her daughter because she's a Tory. Mm, mm. So in the end, she decided that family ties should win out. They said, you know, oh, okay. yeah. That was I thought that was just a funny story how politics works in families. You know, everyone's got differing and uh, quite rightly differing views. But uh, I think who do you think is going to win this? Well, no, the, leadership the, uh, contest. Well, the polls are all suggesting that it's going to be mm. Liz Truss, and uh, Liz Truss is, uh, even for Conservative, is supposed to be on the right wing of the Conservative Party, so mm. I'm not surprised yes. that her parents, if they are very much liberal, Lib Dem-minded, mm. uh, then yes. uh, they, would be, uh, they would be alarmed as to uh, how their uh, daughter has, <laughs> has mm. drifted away <laughs> from, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> from what they consider <laughs> to be the right path. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean it's. Um, but I think I, I, I'm, all the uh, polls are suggesting that it's going to be um, less trust, and um, and some are, are having some Tories are having mm. misgivings. I know um, uh, that um, uh, the former uh, um, foreign secretary. Yes. I can't remember. Oh, William Hay. Right. You see, at my age, uh, <laughs> you, you're going to find this as well. At my age, I can't. Rem- I can remember faces, yes. but I can't remember names. But anyway, William Hay. Yes. William Hague, um, uh was uh, quite um, remorseful about having changed the rules where he allowed party members mm. also to have a vote on who the next leaders would be yes. because he's very much a supporter of Rishi Sunak. And uh, Rishi Sunak was very popular among the MPs, but not among the uh, among the uh, Conservative membership. And that's that's the problem. Yes, uh, that the Conservative membership are uh, very much uh, fans of this uh, trust. So it looks like she's going to be um, our next Prime Minister, and uh, we have to pray mm. uh, <laughs> that, yes. that that she's able to handle uh, the problems that we uh, we are facing at the moment. And they're both. Um, uh, national and international as well. Uh, the the story that caught my eye mm. was um, the death of Mikhail Gorbachev. Um, so this was something that was dominating our screens and print media for the past couple of days. Mm. Uh, he died at the age of 91 in Moscow and he was the last Soviet leader and credited, well, uh, or blamed, depending on which way you look at it, mm. uh, with the ending of the Cold War and the dismantling of the Soviet Union. And for the same reason that of dismantling the Soviet Union, he is reviled in his own country, uh, Russia, 
when he tried to seek high office immediately after the fall of the Soviet Union in Russia, he got uh, just half a percent of the vote. Mm. Um, the fact remains that his stewardship of uh, the Soviet Union did lead to the demise of communism in that part of the world and gave rise to what we would consider a unipolar world with a single uh, superpower at its help. And I remember very vividly the far-sighted and very wise fourth successor of the Amri Muslim community, as Amir Ahmed, commenting when observing the rejoicing that people were uh, having over this development and an end to the, pro- uh, to the prospect of a conflict between two superpowers. That now, he said, the future of the weaker nations had become much more precarious. The world had become more dangerous for them. And he explained that in the past, either of the two superpowers held back from being too hard, too harsh on other nations, lest those other nations gravitate to the opposing camp. Now that that prospect no longer existed uh, in the unipolar world, and that single power would do what it wants with impunity. And what is so remarkable that the events that followed proved how right he was. Uh, worse may yet follow. So that's a very salutary uh, lesson for us that sometime when uh, we are uh, removed from one particular problem, one particular catastrophe, or we, so, so we think, mm. then a bigger catastrophe lays in wait. Um, so that's something that uh, was, uh, um, that reminded me mm. of uh, this death of uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, of that particular warning. The other thing that uh, has concerned me quite mm. seriously is the uh, news about uh, you can shoplift. Uh, and if you steal less than 200 pounds, then you won't be prosecuted. Did you know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> <Yes, there you laughs> and I hope this is not any, any encouragement for would-be criminals. No. Uh, the, mm. <laughs> this seems to be uh, the green light being that has been given to shoplifters, where it has become evident mm. that police will not bother to deal with crimes involving shoplifters who have stolen less than 200 pounds of goods. Uh, Nottinghamshire police, for example, mm. have categorically declared that they are no longer in a position to investigate these uh, kind of crimes unless violence is involved. And the reason they say, mm. uh, and this was explained by the um, uh, police and crime commissioner, uh, Paddy Tipping is his name, yeah, the, this is Nottinghamshire's uh, uh, police and crime uh, commissioner. He mm. said that it's due to government cuts. He said that uh, we can't do the job that we used to when you've got 25% less resources. So he's complaining about uh, the lack of funding, the lack of uh, uh, equipment, the lack of uh, personnel. Mm. And he said that there are there are tough choices that need to be made and we need to have a debate about what can be expected of the police going forward. So not surprisingly, mm. uh, retailers are quite upset against this and they find themselves at the wrong end of a sharp rise in this crime and it's being fueled partly because of this attitude of, of the police. And the 200 pound threshold, by the way, was introduced um, in, in England and Wales in 2014 by the Antisocial, through the Antisocial Behaviour Crime and Policing Act. And the act allows anyone stealing goods costing less than 200 pounds to plead guilty by post, mm. so you don't have to attend uh, court. Yes. And uh, 
the uh, penalty is uh, usually a fine, but it could be a, a year in prison. But that's uh, that's not something that uh, is common. It's a sad state of affairs. It mm. shows how law and order is breaking down. And many would say that unless these kind of crimes are dealt with, we will be facing more serious, uh, more of the senior, serious mm. crimes because it is these very criminals yes. that then mm. graduate up uh, to more serious offences. So that's one. Uh, mm. And the loss is borne uh, by the law-abiding citizen society, which is so unfair. On the basis of the, this argument, more support and financial support in particular has to be given to the police and the law enforcement agencies to do their work without having to choose which crimes they enforce and which ones they turn a blind eye to. So not doing so may result in vigilante retailers taking the law in their own hands and meeting out their own punishments. Now that's also a possibility mm. on the offenders resulting in further chaos. Not the, a good thing. the thing is, uh, my personal opinion about the whole matter is that in a, if they've seen a rise in um, certain things like, say, for food, things for the food so I I, I I think I can understand so they'll be able to shoplift less now is that what you're saying <laughs> no what I'm saying is that because prices the, are going up well, that, well, the, well the cost of living crisis soon a, a loaf of bread is going to cost 200 pounds <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's become like Greece right you know uh, and then and the next thing you see the, the, ba- the money disappearing from the bags and the thing is I think uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the statistics show that there, there will be an increase or there has been an increase especially with this new ruling, if, if if it's less than two hundred pounds, and people are suffering, and people are genuinely suffering, you might get some new some new um, people starting this crime. Unfortunately, because they have to make ends meet, and mm. uh, like we will be discussing later, looking at, at food banks in particular, you know. I do remember, mm. you know, reading that uh, during the time of famine mm. uh, in the history of Islam, this was during the Caliphate of Hazrat Umar that uh, he would not uh, impose the punishment for theft mm. uh, when people started stealing because they were hungry. Right. And the reason he cited is that uh, it was the duty of the government to make sure that uh, its citizens are uh, properly taken care of. And if it cannot achieve mm. that objective of making sure that uh, its citizens are fed, then it has no right to impose a punishment if people out of desperation start uh, committing these kinds of, uh, uh, well, I don't know whether they refer to it as a crime, but this, these kind of misdeeds. So that, uh, the punishment of that was relaxed during that period. So uh, I'm not saying that this mm. is the same thing, uh, this shoplifting yes. uh, crisis that we're having, uh, but uh, I can understand uh, if there is some relaxation in this respect, that's right. That's very good. I think, I think uh, it's, we, you know, we have to wait and see how how it pans out. But um, it's it's very beautifully you beautifully described it. How you know there should be a balance. You know, mm. the, the the crime should fit the punishment. I mean, if if people are stealing loads of bottle of expensive things, like say, I don't know alcohol and so on mm. then fine you know I hope you don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you don't know <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 then, then you know I, <laughs> I think I, I think, don't know what the price value well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the thing is generally you see uh, you know it, it, there is cheap alcohol there is more expensive brands as well but the thing is um, I think if it's when it comes to food and people are genuinely 
you know, hungry, f- hungry. Uh, starving. Yeah, we have to, I think, uh, try and give a little bit of leeway and understanding. But yeah, uh, but yeah, then again, yeah. this is what you talk about the the time of Hazrat uh, Umar, peace be upon him. It shows that if there's a need, if society or people in charge are not fulfilling the rights due to the people, mm. then you know something has to give, isn't it? Mm. You know, mm. there's one other story. Uh, if you don't mind me, mentioning. yeah, go ahead. Um, so in uh, on the Reuters website, Reuters dot uh, com, uh, there was a story here about how um, Britain will keep working with international partners to try and change China's actions. Foreign Secretary Liz Truss said on Thursday, responding to a UN report that China may have committed crimes against humanity in its Xinjiang region. Now, we know that there's this, all these crimes being committed against the Uyghur. Hmm. Why uh, does it say may have? Sorry, does it? It's not. Do you know this? I was just about to pick up on the same point. Hmm. You know, you see the language there is very uh, vague yeah. and very yeah. you know, uh, biased, I would say. You know, the, we, everyone has heard stories. For so many years now, we've reported on these stories here at the Breakfast Show mm-hmm. and other programs on the Voice of Islam mm. about these these uh, uh, catastrophes in 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 China, and we have reported yeah. on it extensively. We've spoken to people in China as well. Mm-hmm. We said, you know, people have uh, their rights taken away. Uh, women are who, who are from Muslim backgrounds. Uyghur Muslims are being forced to. Marry, you know, non-Muslim men. Mm-hmm. They're being told to, you know, you know, try and do away with their religion and stop mm-hmm. practicing their mm-hmm. faith. So, you know, we have to see what happens. But there's, there's this sort of language does not help. Mm. I mean, this is the this is the thing that stood out for mm. me as well. Mm. That's why I wanted to mention it because it does, okay. it's not it's not right. Mm-hmm. But. Um, Okay. Mm. Well, um, Russian sanctions seem to be backfiring. So some people say. Uh, Russia has stopped temporarily or reduced gas supply through the Nord Stream Russia to Germany pipeline, which is expected to to uh, to cause a fall mm. in uh, in gas by, by about twenty percent uh, for a few days. This is according to Gazprom. Uh, this follows a similar interruption a couple of months ago in late July, when only about forty percent of the pi- pipeline's normal capacity was in operation. Uh, then the Kremlin, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Russia is not interested in cutting off gas supplies. And Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin said that he had previously warned of the Nord Stream drop at the time, uh, blaming the delayed return of Siemens gas turbine from Canada. The turbine is now in Germany. It seems there is a similar problem now. Uh, with the kind of sanction being imposed by the West, spare parts necessary are not so easily available, and hence such delays are inevitable. And this state of affairs are leading some commentators to wonder how effective uh, are our sanctions on Russia. Are they hurting them, or are they hurting us, and maybe hurting us more? Mm. Was imposing sanctions really the best way to address uh, the situation? I don't know what our listeners think, but we'd be interested to... um, here for them. Uh, the number to dial is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. If you have a view or an opinion on anything that we may be discussing, please do uh, take the opportunity of sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, you can also tweet us on Voice of Islam UK. Well, I mean, um, anything else? There's a, uh, we were mm. talking about theft. Mm. So I just want to mention this as well. The return of bronze statues by Germany. 
This is the news that Germany has signed an agreement for the transfer of the Benin bronzes back to Nigeria. Uh, British soldiers took hundreds of bronzes, more than just shoplifting, mm, exactly. more than 200 pounds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and these are <laughs> intricate sculptures and plaques uh, dating back to the 13th century onwards. Uh, this is when they invaded the kingdom of Benin, located in what is now southwestern Nigeria in 1897. The artifacts ended up in museums around Europe and the United States and remained there for years, and African countries are desperately uh, fighting to recover them. Uh, Germany returned the first of the sculptures in uh, Nigeria, uh, sorry, first of the sculpture to Nigeria in July, and yesterday, uh, last week's uh, agreement, uh, which the SPK, and this is the Foundation of Prussian uh, cultural heritage. So this is a German organization described as the most extensive transfer of museum artifacts from a colonial context to date and covers 512 objects which ended up in Berlin in the aftermath of the 1897 looting. The first objects will be physically returned to Nigeria this year and about a third of treasures will remain on loan in Berlin for at least 10 years and exhibited at the Humboldt Forum in Berlin the loan might be extended. And uh, the uh, this represents one of the spokesmen of uh, the Nigeria's National Commission uh, said, uh, this represents the future concerning the artifacts issue, a future of collaboration among mu museums, a future of according respect and dignity to the legitimate requests of other nations and traditional institutions. So that's Germany, you're saying, that are returning some artifacts? Uh, yes, it's not us. Oh, he, he, well, he has urged, <laughs> yes. he has urged uh, museums outside uh, Germany to emulate the agreement, and French art historians have estimated that some, mm. some 90% of Africa's cultural heritage is believed to be in Europe. Mm. African countries have long sought to get back world's, uh, works pillaged by explorers and colonizers as Western institutions grapple with the cultural legacies of colonialism. Uh, is Mauritius in Africa? Is part it of is Africa? part of Africa. So have, have any of your uh, artifacts been actually transferred, well, the, uh, been the, looted? The, the dodo disappeared. <laughs> 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 I, I that was consumed. Who, yes. That was consumed <laughs> to extinction. <laughs> exactly. But I'm glad to say on, on that story that you're reporting about Germany re re you know, returning some artifacts, London's um, Horniman Museum will so also return some Benin bronzes to Nigeria. Yeah, yeah there's 72 objects um, which were looted from Benin City more than a hmm. century ago. So um, London's Horniman Museum announced that it will return actually 72, uh, sorry, 72 artifacts to Nigeria that British troops looted in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So I think if they, like they like you quite rightly mentioned, mm. if they start going around Europe, I, I'm sure there's a few countries that mm. you know fill their pockets. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, just one very because I, I just wanted to get this in. This yes. is about uh, the national health because I know uh, your work is very closely related to the NHS. Yes. And um, what's um, alarming is the fact that uh, uh, they are also considering going on strike and. Uh, uh, this is, um, you know, a remarkable turnaround after, uh, you know, uh, we were all so eager to thank them during the height of the pandemic with mm -hmm. a round of applause on Thursday, Thursday night. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, 
and appears, according to some, that these politicians that were especially at the forefront in registering their appreciation with clapping their hands, hands might well have been doing so superficially. The government argued that they can uh, only offer limited amount of pay, pay rises. I mean, their hands are tied, and uh, with inflation getting out of control, pay rises was, was simply few further a uh, few um, further in, uh, rise in inflation, but NHS workers are having to face a grim reality, and would not be able would not be contemplating industrial action, where they're not so uh, desperate. And there is going to be uh, a vote taking place in October. Mm-hmm. I understand by some of the nurses, um, and uh, it just goes to show um, how uh, difficult the position has has become. For the for workers in the NHS, and uh, uh, it is perhaps uh, something that, as a society, we should uh, uh, ponder over and render more support to those that uh, became so vital during our hour of, of need. 100%. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, um, I but mm. there doesn't seem to be much prospect. I think they've been they've been um, awarded. What was it? Um, um, a pay rise, but a pay rise that uh, equates to something like fourteen hundred pounds, which is eaten up a four percent increase. Mm. And uh, they say that um, the average cost of living had increased by ten percent since the same same time last year. So four percent is uh, not even going to be enough to uh, keep them at the same level as they were a year ago. And according to the Royal College of Midwives, over two-thirds of the £1,400 pay increase that we will, they will be getting will go on uh, uh, rising energy bills, with the rest going to tax, leaving mem- members worse off than last year. So that's a very sad state of affairs. Is that also so in the um, care... Is it uh, the care of sector that you work in? Unfortunately, the care sector is one of those areas where there's not been a, a real rise in, in pay. Uh-huh. So unfortunately, you've still got people <coughs> working long hours uh, and and not being you know, rewarded financially for it. You know, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Uh, but working, are you finding it difficult to recruit? Uh, yes, because obviously, um, if if you can be doing work that is better paid, mm-hmm. less strenuous, because working with people and adults is, is it's very or children for that matter mm. it's very hard work it's very you know uh you know backbreaking work and to not be rewarded for the right you know with the right amount of pay mm. and, and mm. see the way it works is like for example i'll just give just very very quickly for example if you're saying a, a basic carer's job is they can earn between nine pounds fifteen ten pounds an hour this is at the bottom you know without any yeah. formal education and this, that's that's the job per hour before tax, right? That's going to be tax. And then they tell you that you have to travel from A to B, go and do a job in B, and the job is only for half an hour. So the £9.50, you can see very quickly, does oh. not become a lot of money. No, especially so, with fuel, fuel prices. Exactly. Yeah. And if people are paying for public transport to travel between, oh. it's not worth doing anymore. So you can go to other companies or supermarkets and start getting better money than that. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a big recruitment drive. So... It doesn't. It doesn't balance. It doesn't equate to uh-huh. amount the uh, of effort that goes in. Oh, okay. So that's why I think, um, unfortunately, nurses and I, I, I agree with them that it goes right. Yeah, <laughs> need, yeah we yeah. see. We see. I mean, there's a lot of people who are lining up to uh, mm. to strike now because of the uh, uh, 
because of inflation and the low uh, pay rises they're being they're, they're being offered. So we'll see how things develop. Exactly. Anyway, we have to move on and we have to go on to the main stories about can online cultural events benefit lonely lonely people? It's something we picked up on The Guardian. Yes, sure. What did it say? So um, people in Britain continue to be lonelier today than before COVID-19, despite the ending of social restrictions, according to the campaign to end loneliness. The campaign's latest analysis of loneliness data from the Office uh, for National Statistics reveals that more people are now chronically lonely than before the pandemic. The results indicated that 3.3 million people are lonely um, all or most of the time, uh, compared to 2.6 million people in 2020. The figures also highlight that younger people are still more likely to report feeling lonely than older people. Now, the gist of this story is that the research suggests online cultural activities such as museum tours can significantly improve the mental and physical health of elderly people who are homebound. Museums can be instrumental in fostering social inclusion and may improve the overall health of the older population. Over the course of the 2019 coronavirus pandemic, many older adults suffered as a result of confinement measures, which may have accelerated the processes that lead to physical frailty and increased mental health risks. Now, the study uh, says here that um, show that art-based activity may be an um, effective intervention, said Dr. Olivier Boucher, a professor at McGill University in Montreal and lead author of a study published in Frontiers in uh, in Medicine. Social isolation and loneliness, which are often more acute in older people, are as bad for health as long-term illness and can lead to premature death. Successive lockdowns during the pandemic only made things worse. I mean... I can I can I can't, you know, attest to this. I've seen this as well in the field that I work. That you see so many people by themselves, uh, and family can't come visit them because of the restrictions. Yeah. And the only people that are coming to see them are the people that are you know, providing care or support for them in some you know, shape or form. Mm. So it's 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 been very you know a very tough time for you know a lot mm. of vulnerable people. I should say. What about virtual virtual? Measures, the the thing is the, the thing is with that is what needs to be understood is that unfortunately a lot of these people don't have access to that sort of thing. Mm. They don't have even smartphones. They've still got mm-hmm. you know the old dial phones. Mm. Uh, they don't even have computers. No, they have them. They don't know how to use them. Well, that's it. Mm. Yes. Uh, so that's that's why they're just doing like a gap. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So those people unfortunately cannot join virtual programs because okay. it's not been happening. And then also we saw over the course of the pandemic that a lot of museums and other places you know, were shut because yeah. of the pandemic. Mm. But then it doesn't help the fact that there's a lot of other things like uh, museums and um, cultural centers and also libraries that are also shutting down due to you know, lack of funding and so on. Hmm. So all these things contribute to an increase in loneliness. But then the other issue is access to these properties, to these places. If there's no disabled access or no proper access, it's very difficult for you and I. It's quite, we're quite easy to walk hmm. down a footpath. But yeah. try taking someone in a wheelchair, hmm. just down a footpath yeah. or down a pavement, hmm. and getting access into a building is very difficult. Hmm. Hmm. So the the sentiment is nice. Yeah. But uh, there should be more things put in place for, you know, easier access for these people. Mm, mm, mm. 
Mm. And also, I mean, I've seen a lot of people, uh, elderly people who who love the fact that they can go out, you know, get some fresh air and visit visit such places, you know. But mm. so often, more, more often than not, they do get tired quickly. But mm. the fact that they can go out yeah. has a good, you know, sort of a mental stimulation for them. Mm-hmm. You know, the research suggests that just one virtual trip to the museum, you know, this is what you were talking about, mm. and we could foster social inclusion and improve the physical and mental well-being of seniors. Now, the team recruited 106 community-dwelling adults aged 65 and older to investigate the potential um, health benefits of art-based activities. Half of the participants attended weekly online museum tours followed by an informal discussion, while the other half did not participate in any cultural activities before or during the three-month study period. Now, the people who joined the visits recorded improved feelings of social inclusion, well-being and quality of life, as well as reduced physical frailty compared with those who did not attend the guided tours. Now, of course, if you're not walking around, if you're not using your muscles or your legs, then you become weaker. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, Mm. yes, uh, Mm. more than two, two million people aged over 75 live alone in England. Yes. And more than a million say they sometimes go for more than a month without any social contact. According, this is according to Charity Age UK. And uh, Professor Yang Hu of Lancaster University said that the study shows that with adequate infrastructure, age-friendly access and technical support, uh, digital technology can benefit the mental health and well-being of older people. Um, and the necessary technical guidance is often lacking, however... Uh, which is why virtual contact left all the people feeling lonelier than with no contact at all during the pandemic. And uh, another uh, uh, quote uh, attributed to who is uh, that unfortunately older people often left to their own devices to navigate technology use uh, uh, are unprepared and... uh, this was not something that um, was conducive to what they could and could not do. Dr. Snorri Raffneson of the University of West London said, with adequate uh, support, the potential of scaling this kind of intervention up is great. Uh, Not everyone has access to online resources and activities, however. Uh, There are huge barriers for older people living in the community, lack of internet, knowledge and support, financial issues, and so on, Raffneson said. And uh, Raffneson also added, studies show that those who have family around them and a supportive social network are more likely to take up and use online technology. Um, So we are going to be joined by um, an expert Later on, well, in the next few seconds, I yes. think, by this uh, Simon mm. Hewell Avison, uh, and uh, Simon is uh, well, is a trustee of several charities, including the Volunteer Youth Service in Devon, and is currently a trustee with Daybreak, who provide unique social and therapeutic res- respite uh, for people living with the dementia, helping couples stay together at home. So I'm hoping that uh, he will be connected soon. Mm. But in the meantime, we can listen to what... I'm sorry. No, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll sorry, I, <laughs> I, I, I went on without allowing you to... No, 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 no that's fine. No, 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 you're just reinforcing what I was saying earlier about how, you know, 
the it, 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 the sentiment is right, and it's nice that you know you want to uh, inc- have inclusion and include people, uh, el- especially senior people and elderly people, uh, you know, to have contact to see such virtual tours and so on. But if the technology is not there, mm. and this was this is similar to a story we which we covered a while back mm. on the Voice of Islam regarding uh, online tuition, you know, um, homeschooling. So, it, it, unfortunately, there will also always be members of the society who can't be included because they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the internet connection, they don't actually have the laptops or PCs to get involved in, uh, you know, homeschooling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I do believe we are joined by our guest now. Yes, uh, Ms. Simon Hewitt Abbasson is with us. Uh, Simon is a trustee of several charities, including the Voluntary Youth Service in Devon. Thank you very much for joining us on the Breakfast Show, Simon. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Right, uh, uh, my colleague has a few questions, if you don't mind. Uh, good morning, Simon. Could you please tell us about what your organisation does to um, tackle loneliness? Yeah, of course. So, uh, at Independent Age, we're, we're a UK-wide charity. We focus our work predominantly on, on working with older adults um, facing financial hardship. And we have a number of things that we, we can offer. So, we, we do have a free phone helpline. Um, and we take uh, a huge number of calls each year from, from older people on a wide range of issues from, from welfare benefits to housing and social care and, and of course, those who are feeling lonely. Um, we run a number of local services which are about reconnecting people with the, the people and activities and the community around them and often that's about providing a bit of support or, or helping with a bit of confidence and helping, I suppose, helping rekindle people's love for life Uh, often following a bereavement or perhaps a period of ill health. And then we have a number of phone-based services as well. I think what we saw during the pandemic was a huge amount of uh, services and activities and events moving online. And and actually, a lot of the people we work with um, either can't access, can't afford to access the internet or have no interest, really, in in doing so. And so we provide a a number of social groups um, over the phone and also sort of event-based groups as well where people can dial in, phone in and, and listen to... Uh, a range of experts or, or get involved in a discussion and and these are sort of real lifelines of people who perhaps you know struggle to get out a little bit through mobility issues or you know spend a lot of time at home that's really good and um is loneliness according to your organization generally more common in the elderly and how severe can loneliness become in terms of the impact it has on the well-being of the person uh, yeah, of course. So, I mean, if you, if you look at the evidence, it would suggest as a, as a whole that loneliness is, is most severe sort of in your late teens, early 20s, and then again in, in later life. Um, so, you know, we can all feel lonely at times. You know, loneliness is a, is a natural human emotion. It's when things persist for long periods, that's when it becomes a, a real problem. So, you know, yes, um, you know, some of the things we experience as we get older might will increase your risk of becoming lonely. So as, as I mentioned earlier, bereavement, losing, you know, a partner or, or friends and family, um, potentially living on a low fixed income um, or, or a sort of increase in physical and mental uh, health problems. So all these can lead to increased risks. And again, I think what we saw, just go back to the pandemic for a moment, what we saw during the pandemic was, you know, over 300,000 people aged over 65 losing, losing a partner during that time. Mm. And at a time where people are sort of stuck inside, stuck by themselves, you know, huge, huge issues there becoming around around loneliness. And in terms of severity, as I mentioned, loneliness becomes a real problem when, when we don't do anything about it. Um, it's often referred to as that silent killer. So I don't think we can underestimate loneliness. Um, you know, research shows that it can increase 
blood pressure, heart disease, depression. Um, so all of these things, you know, uh, and, and often compared to actually having the same sort of damaging impact as, as smoking um, or, or obesity. So, you know, it is, it is a real problem for our society. To what extent does uh, lack of social interaction, confidence and lower self-esteem uh, contribute towards factors associated with loneliness? Yeah, it certainly does. And, and through our through our local teams, again, you know, we hear time and time again about actually it's just that ha- having someone to support you through that first step, you know, so perhaps a little bit of confidence, perhaps someone, as I say, might have had a fall or has lost a partner or a friend who they used to do these things with, you know, go out and enjoy a cup of tea or go to the cinema or whatever it might be. Yeah, we had a couple of recent examples where um, we were working with a lady who just used to love swimming but was told, you know, oh, you're too old for, for that now, you can't do that. And actually, you know, with a bit of support, we managed to get her back to the local swimming pool and she's made a huge range of friends now just through mm-hmm. that, that love and passion of swimming. So, you know, yes, it plays a massive, massive part in, in sort of getting people back out again. But what we're seeing more and more now with the, the sort of cost of living crisis, you know, p- older people having to cut back, you know, so not wanting to spend money on that cup of tea with a, with a friend or perhaps going out and doing what they used to to enjoy doing. So I think we're again, a bit like the pandemic, we're about to see a real issue now with people cutting back on spending and not being able to enjoy those little things, those little pleasures, those comforts that actually increase our connectivity with, with the people in the world around us. So, yeah, some, some real problems on the horizon there. And what do you think can be done generally in society as a whole to reduce impacts of loneliness and improve the, uh, the well-being of, of the elderly? Yeah, so so as individuals, you know, ki- kindness goes a long way. You know, let, let's all look out for the people around us, whether that's family or friends or neighbours. You know, and a simple hello, a, a stop and a sort of a little conversation can go, go a long, long way. We know that, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of older people out there that, that, that TV is their only company. You know, so actually taking a little bit of time out of our day just to say hello and speak to someone goes a long way. And then I think, you know, the government's got some work to do here as well. You know, as I mentioned earlier with the cost of living crisis, you know, we need support, we need funding, we need we need to be able to enable people to go about and live the lives that they want to do and, and, and help them connect with others. Mm. You know, that is crucially important. So, you know, I think individually we've got responsibility, but also at that societal government level there is a response needed as well. Great. Thanks very much for coming on, Simon. Um, and uh, yes, giving giving us the benefit of expertise. Thank you very much. And uh, it's wonderful work you're doing. Wish you all the best in the future. Many thanks. Thank you. Right. Uh, we also spoke to uh, Robin Hewings earlier. Robin is a program director for Campaign to End Loneliness. And uh, this is what he had to say. We're pleased to be in the company of Mr. Robin Hewings on the phone. Uh, Robin is the Programme Director for Campaign to End Loneliness. Uh, thank you for, very much for coming on to, uh, to speak to us, uh, Robin. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us uh, a bit about Campaign to End Loneliness and what are you doing uh, to address this issue? Yes, so we, um, for the last 10 years or so, have been doing three things. The first thing is trying to build up Uh, our understanding of loneliness, so what causes it, what effects it has on people, and also what we can do about it. And then what we also try to do is try to bring together all the different organisations who work on this so that we can do more in the future, because this is one of the most serious issues affecting society, uh, and we need to get much better at tackling it. 
What is the extent of the problem? Have you got some kind of an idea of how big this is in the UK? Yes. So there's a real kind of spectrum. So there is um, between about 5 and 10% of people are in a really difficult situation where they're kind of what we call kind of chronically lonely. People who say that they feel lonely kind of basically all the time, that loneliness is what their life feels like. And then there's another 10% of people who wouldn't be in quite as bad a situation as that, but would nevertheless be facing real issues with um, with feeling lonely and not having the connections that they need. And is this increasing or de- uh, decreasing? So what we've we haven't been asking questions about loneliness for long enough to be really sure whether it's going up or down over the long term. But what we definitely have seen in COVID was that, uh, particularly when COVID really dragged on, so when we went into those winter lockdowns, uh, we found more people becoming really kind of chronically lonely. And it has got a bit better since then, but what it hasn't done is gone back to what it was beforehand. And that's, we think, because once you've become lonely, it's quite hard to get out of it. Um, And so we think that uh, a good number of people have got kind of stuck in loneliness. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that lockdown restrictions have been lifted hasn't really taken us back to where we were before the lockdown. Um, So it's, it's got worse. Exactly, exactly. Um, Tell me, what would you say are the causes of loneliness? So there is a real range of causes. So sometimes that's very much to do with something personal that's happened to you. So, for example, um, you know, you might have moved somewhere new or you might have got a new job or you might be going through just a really difficult time in your life and that just can just feel really low nugget you just don't have the connections to people around you that you need um but sometimes it's because of something that might be uh, a bit more permanent so for example um people who feel discriminated against uh, are often much more likely to feel lonely and also people who are disabled um and people on low incomes are also more likely to be lonely um and and finally there are some causes of loneliness which are kind of big things about our society. So, for example, in some places, a roughly similar person will be less lonely than they would be if they lived somewhere else. And that's because some places are much better for having the kind of connections and uh, feeling safe where you live so that you don't feel lonely. And some places can be um, uh, much more kind of alienating. Hmm. Is there a mental health component to all this as well? Yes, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. um, so there's it goes both ways, if you see what I mean. So it's both the case that um, having a mental health problem, particularly something like social anxiety or depression, makes you more likely to become lonely in the future, and the other way around as well. So being lonely makes it uh, more likely that you'll go on to develop mental health problems like. Like, like depression in particular. Mm. And I think that just shows how much having the right social connections means to us. And so when we don't have them, it can affect us really deeply. And it can even go into 
kind of you know, the most serious physical health problems mm. as well. Mm. Mm. Um, but are there instances where people or individuals do have family around them, but they feel lonely, although there is no reason for them to do so. It's just their their impression or their state of mind that compels them to feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. So having family around you um, does make you mu- a good deal less likely to be lonely. But uh, sometimes the connections that you want might, might not be... But you might not be getting from your family. So mm. that might be, for example, if you're a young person, you might be perfectly happy with your mum and dad, mm. but you're, you might feel lonely because you're missing kind of social relationships with your peers. Mm. Um, and sometimes people might, people can often feel lonely if they're in a bad relationship. So loneliness is, is, um, is the feeling that we have when um, we don't have the right relationships in our life. And sometimes that can be because we don't have enough, but sometimes because the ones we have aren't very good. You know, you, people can be kind of lonely in a marriage, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that as a society we've always been socially distanced from the destitute and the vulnerable? That's something that we need to need to rectify. I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think particularly as we head into a kind of winter with some really scary things about kind of cost of living crisis um, that it's very striking that when people have really serious kind of acute financial issues um, that makes them much more likely to be lonely it's kind of we just we've just done some work in London with the Greater London Authority and that was a and we found that kind of income maybe made a bit of a difference but it was when things got really acute that that was just really overwhelming to people because i think when you've just got so much on your plate it's really hard to feel to feel well connected to people and and as you say we can we often try to distance ourselves i think from people who might be um in real kind of destitution Hmm. how do you see the future do you think that the crisis that we're running through at the moment is going to help loneliness. People are going to be more worried about how to make ends meet and forget about their loneliness as a result. So there's a silver lining to that in that respect. So I have to say, in the short term, I think I am really quite worried. I think that the issues that we're facing will make it uh, harder for people to have the social connections that they need. There's a really kind of very basic thing which is we you know often connecting with people can cost some money you know it costs some money mm. to go out it can cost some money to travel um sometimes you know people might live abroad and will spend a lot of money on um re- meeting up with relatives and yeah. if you haven't got that money then that'd be much more difficult and also like i say i think that it can uh, be that we feel um when you are in a really serious situation that just feels very very isolating and it's really mm. difficult for people but i have to say though that i'm a short-term pessimist but a long longer-term optimist because right. i think that we are understanding these issues much better we're taking mm. them more seriously and i really do think that in the longer term that will become uh that will lead to a society where 
far, far fewer people get stuck in loneliness, particularly that kind of chronic loneliness when loneliness just goes on and on and it's really difficult for people to get out of. Well, uh, thank you very much for that insight. Uh, it's clearly loneliness is a difficult problem for getting so many. A wonderful effort you're making in helping to alleviate it. Uh, thank you very much for coming on to speak to us. Wish you all the best in the future. Thank you ever so much for having me on. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, uh, so that was uh, our expert. Um, his name was... Uh, um, Robin Hewings mm. uh, spoke to spoke to him uh, uh, yesterday, uh, and uh, very interesting uh, in what he had to say. Uh, we'll be carrying on uh, with this particular topic after the eight o'clock uh, news, uh, and we'll be trying to give uh, the Islamic angle to this. Uh, and after that, we'll be looking at uh, the second of our main uh, main uh, topics, which is about food banks and the struggle to keep up. Uh, we demand uh, that they are uh, having to uh, face. We still got about a minute. Uh, did you want to say anything? Uh, oh, yes. Well, I just wanted to say uh, well, thank you to, to our producer for today's show, is uh, Nagis Nasir, and uh, to our research team, our massive research team, Sidi Khabakhtiar, Neha Latif, Hena Ahmed, and Kutsi Award for all the contribution in preparing today's program, and also to our tech support, Mr. Akib. So um, without them, you know, we'll be struggling. Yes, <laughs> yes, we'll be talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll, be very, we'll be very lonely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, 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 the listeners will be turned off. I mean, dear listeners, if you have any uh, things you would like to say, any contribution you would like to make to our show, please do give us a ring on 0208-687-7878. The Breakfast Show runs from Monday to Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, you will always have the pleasure of listening to God willing, Mr. Walid Ahmed on Fridays <laughs> and the other presenters uh, on Monday to uh, Thursday, as as you know. Uh, we're going to take a break for the 8 o'clock news. Please join us after the 8 o'clock news. Uh, and if you have like any comments, like I said, you can give us a ring. You should know the number by now. If you don't, it's 0208-687-7878. Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Uh, peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of The Voice of Islam with uh, Brother Khalid Banu and myself, Walid Ahmed. The time is approaching three minutes past eight. It is Friday, the 2nd of September, 2022. We are discussing this subject of uh, loneliness and this particular study that was being uh, conducted in uh, the university, McGill University in Montreal. Uh, there is an Islamic perspective to this. I think we should spend some time on this. Uh, what What do you have in store? Um, so, you know, feeling lonely is a normal thing and happens to everyone from time to time. Now, in these instances, it is important to remember that you may feel lonely at this time, but you are not alone. It is important to combat this feeling head-on since a repetition of this feeling could lead to depression and anxiety. Firstly, try and identify what is making you feel this way. There are many things you can do to boost your morale in order to combat this feeling. If it is low self-esteem, start keeping a self-gratitude journal. 
This keeps a record of all positive, rewarding, and pleasant experiences you can look back to every night to increase joy. Positive self-talk on a daily basis, as well as keeping company around you that is sympathetic, encouraging, and motivating. Just like in uh, your presence, Brother Willie, <laughs> <laughs> can help your oh, overall yes. mood. And we hope we're, we're lifting the mood of our, <laughs> our, our listeners as well. And also, I mean, with the supportive family and friends around you, these feelings of uh, worth, worthlessness and loneliness diminish. Sometimes it is we who are being lazy about reaching out to friends and family, thus feeling lonely. Uh, getting together with friends or family may just be a phone call away to arrange uh, in conjunction with solidifying uh, positive relationships between yourself and others, it is essential to keep yourself busy. If you feel lonely persistently, even coming to a congregational prayer at the mosque can improve your mood. It is Islam's way of ensuring that no one feels lonely as it gives multiple opportunities every day to meet up with other members of the Jamaat uh, of the community and build new friendships and ultimately improve both our spiritual lives and worldly connections. Uh, another way to meet new people is to see what is happening in your community online or at your local community centre. If you are not keen on physical activity, you can do something creative such as a puzzle. Another activity you can participate in is in meditation, which in its best form would be spiritual closeness to God Almighty through offering prayers with both sincerity and hope. A simple way of improving uh, prayers is to set aside a good amount of time for a voluntary uh, prayer or salat, ensuring that the time allocated is going to be quiet and um, that no one will disturb you and doing it in a closed room. So this should allow you to open up to God about how you may be feeling and can ultimately make you feel better. In addition to this, sometimes volunteering and offering a helping hand can help you realize your own value and worth. The most beneficial thing you can do for your mental health to try to identi identify what brings you uh, you joy and what activities bring you peace so that you can participate in more of them. In turn, if you are constantly having a feeling of loneliness with no positive change and none of these suggestions help, it may be time to go seek professional help since this can be a symptom of clinical depression. I mean, this is why I come to do the Voice of Islam. This is my therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's always interesting to speak to, you know, uh, mm have excellent uh, co-hosts yeah. and uh, speak to wonderful guests yes and our listeners yes yeah exactly yeah yes and uh, who give us a lot of space to say what we want because <laughs> <laughs> the way like you said uh, brother Willie, this is an interactive show so yes if anyone's uh, getting bored of our voices or has something interesting to say they can always give us a ring mm. Well, um, uh, fine. we can also find solace and comfort in God. Um, yes. for, a for a believer, true solace and comfort is found through the remembrance of God. Studies have shown that remaining in isolation intensifies grief and sorrow. His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the head of the Ambiya Muslim community, explains uh, Islam's concept of happiness versus grief and explained that the gathering of people together and social interaction with others is what brings happiness. By contrast, grief and sorrow are intensified when a person prefers solitude and isolation. When a person stays away from other people for longer periods, it eventually can lead to depression. 
However, by sitting in the company of their friends and expressing their grief, their feelings of grief or depression can be reduced. It is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. This is a verse of the Holy Quran, or part of the verse of the Holy Quran, found in chapter 13, verse 29. And uh, we should turn to Allah and beseech help and support from Him. Islam also guides us to increasingly participate in social activities after such events. Those who are suffering from depression are also told by uh, psychiatrists to go and socialize with others, to get some fresh air and exercise, and to meet people instead of being isolated. Uh, and there is also, I think, um, some advice about caring for the aged that can also be mentioned because mm. the responsibility for care of the aged is uh, gradually shifting to the state. And care of the aged uh, represents a heavy burden on the national economy. However much uh, a state is ready to expand, it can never buy them peace and contentment. The most terrible feeling of having been rejected, left out and abandoned is the most uh, painful realization of a growing void of loneliness within uh, within our... Uh, within our problems beyond the reach of many to resolve. To consider that a comparatively remote relative would ever be taken care of by the rest of the family has become almost impossible to imagine. In Muslim societies, it is as rare to find such expectations uh, as it is rare and becoming rarer to find expectations in modern societies amongst relatives in the treatment of the old. Muslims are taught, and this is a verse of the Holy Quran, chapter 17, verses uh, 24 to 25. It says, Thy Lord has commanded, worship none but him. And then the verse goes on to show, uh, say, and show kindness to parents. If one of them or both of them attain old age with you, never say unto them any word expressive of disgust, nor reproach them but always address them with excellent speech and lower to them the wing of humility out of tenderness and say, My Lord, have mercy on them even as they nourished me when I was a little child. So this is a direction from the Holy Quran Mm. that is being stipulated here. If contemporary society learns the lessons uh, from these injunctions, many problems which it faces today and which represent a blemish on an advanced society would cease to exist. No elderly homes or homes for the aged would be needed, except for some aged people who unfortunately have so clo- no close relative to look after them, uh, or those elderly people who need uh, constant medical attention. Uh, there would be exceptions. But in an Islamic society, otherwise, the love between parents and children is so repeatedly emphasized that it would be impossible for a child to abandon his or her parents when they grow old for the sake of his or her own pleasure. Uh, so this is a salutary lesson for, mm. for all, all of us. Loneliness is uh, most severe for older people, uh, and the saying of the Holy Prophet highlights taking uh, care of aged peoples as an integral part of a Muslim faith. And this particular saying of the Holy Prophet uh, is uh, recorded this way. It says that one of his uh, uh, Holy Prophet uh, saying that uh, um, he is reported to have said, Mm -hmm. unlucky is the man whose parents live to uh, an old age 
and he fails to uh, earn paradise even then, meaning that the service of one's parents, particularly when they reach old age, attracts the grace and favor of God, and therefore a person to whom it is afforded uh, the opportunity of serving his aged parents and who avails himself of the opportunity to the full is bound to become confirmed in righteous ways and a recipient of the grace of God. I, I, when I read mm. that particular saying, I, I, I read a more harsher verse, uh, verse, uh, version of it. Mm. Uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is said to have been... Um, uh, being in a in a mournful mood, mm. and said repeatedly this this phrase that may his uh, nose be rubbed in dust, may his nose be rubbed in wow. dust, may his nose be rubbed in dust, Oof. and when he was asked who mm. he was talking about, he said that a person whose parents live to an old age and fails to earn paradise by serving them. So it is a very important mm. duty that has been. Uh, mentioned uh, both by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and uh, cited in the Holy Quran, that of uh, serving serving appearance. And if that takes place, I'm sure uh, you will be out of a job, won't you, uh, Mr. <laughs> 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 that, that, that I think that would be a happy day when, <laughs> when, we, you know, when people, society takes care of the, the elderly in a much better way. And the other thing, yeah. I think that uh, the love and attention that family members can give to an individual cannot be replicated by strangers doing uh, trying to do the same. Of course. Um, and um, so I think that uh, society as a whole has to uh, to uh, to rethink mm. as to how we are dealing with our uh, elderly and uh, whether the way that uh, we seem to be running our lives, going after uh, material, materialism, um, should be, you know, mm. uh, re- rethought, recalibrated. Do you know the, the whole the whole subject matter we, we were talking about? You know, um, loneliness. You know, uh, in this this whole topic, I think, it, like you said, if 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 we, as a society, are more aware of people around us, and doesn't they don't have to be people that we know. Just you see someone in the street, on the bus stop, in the tube, in the shop, supermarket. And look like they might need a bit of help. You know, I don't think we should hesitate. Just ask them if they need a little bit of help. Just, just you, know, you see, sometimes people more than often than not, mm. the people that you know, I, I have the fortunate uh, opportunity of working with. You see that they just want to have a conversation with someone mm-hmm. because they feel so lonely, and it's you know, it's, it's such a fulfilling thing. You know, just to be able to spend a bit of time yeah. talking to someone. You know, and and and, and it's the same thing. They don't have to be people that we know. It's just helping someone, and the joy that we get from from seeing someone smile is, you know, yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's so rewarding. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. But um, I also find I find mm. I mean we were talking about uh, looking after the elderly and the responsibility that the younger generation have mm. and should assume. But uh, I also find that uh, the older generation. Uh, many of them often want their independence. They don't want to be looked out. They don't want anybody. They don't want to move somewhere else. They were happy and content, mm. even if they're on their own, in uh, a home that they own, rather than move in with their uh, with their children. Yeah. Mm, so I that's th- another that's another <laughs> challenge. <laughs> I think uh, the reason I'm laughing is because it's, I've seen this so many so many times. Because the thing is, look, you worked all your life. You worked really hard. You about, you you've, you've got your house or your property or wherever you're living, 
and you want to have that freedom just to you know just to be able to do things independently and that, that's a right I think everyone should should be able to have when you start restricting people and sticking them in care homes right unfortunately sometimes it has to happen because they've got no one around them mm. but when you're in care home you see that unfortunately uh, you know it's so restricted in, in what you can do and how you can you know mm. move about unless you you got lots of money in, in the pot you know you're wealthy you, you can live quite comfortably but you know People, I think, people do like to be by themselves, mm. but at the same time, people do like to have some some interaction. Mm. So they want to be by themselves, but also mm. you know, just mingle with people a little mm. bit sometimes. But but those, those who can who can cater for them mm. themselves um, can, I mean, and do mm. live live uh, live on their own and are happy to live on their own. Uh, but it's when uh, they can't look after themselves or mm. they can't even make a cup of tea, mm. then it becomes necessary. I mean, mm. this is the case with my own mother. Mm. My mother was fiercely against moving in mm. uh, with one of her children. Right. Uh, very much mm. wanting to stay in her own home. Yes, yes. Um, but it's when she, and she did live with me for a few months, mm. and then very angrily wanted to go back, insisted mm. on going back. And when, you know, your mother is saying something uh, yes. uh, very forcefully, then you mm. have to, you know, oblige. But then uh, after a few months, she realized that she couldn't cope. Uh, and, you know, that's when she called me that's and picked pick mm. her up. And, mm. yes, and it's, and looking after the elderly is like looking after your own children mm. in many ways because they have tantrums as well. Mm. I don't know whether you have experienced them when you <laughs> in your work. Lots of the, yeah, well, mm. you, you do that with a lot. They want certain yes. things at certain time and only those things yes. will do, yes. you know. Uh, so uh, there is that, that mm. challenge that you have to... Uh, you have to address. Yeah, I you know what? Well, I think the thing is for a lot of people, um, you know, mother included, is that all these people, like even ourselves, we like to do things. We like to be independent. Mm. And when we have that taken away from you, not because of choice, but because of poor health or whatever, or just become, you know, primarily, it's, it's a very hard uh, sort of harsh reality to accept. And uh, so you see a lot of people you know, say, like for example, I see people that say. Or, you know, I was doing this, this, and this, and this. And and then after they'd fallen or had a stroke, mm, unfortunately, yeah. there's a lot of restriction. And they, it's, it's, it's a slow realization, but it's hard for for anyone to accept. You mm. know, even like, say, for example, I, either of us, we will, we, we'll, say, break our arm or limb or something. Mm. The fact that we'd be incapacitated, you know, uh, restricted in our movements is yeah. really hard to accept. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, no, maybe Allah the Almighty give us the capacity to look after our elderly uh, friends and family properly. Yeah. Inshallah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I think that brings us to a close to of of this particular item, and we have to move on. Uh, yeah, we have to tackle another depressing <laughs> subject. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, these food banks and uh, struggle to keep uh, keep up with demand. So what's this about then? Right. So uh, as we are aware, you know, inf- inflation is soaring. Unfortunately, is and it more than ten percent? No, it's about fifteen percent now, isn't it? Something like that. Anyway, uh, go on. Whatever it is, it's not good for for no, anyone. It's not good, no. Oh. So what's happened is independent food banks are struggling to cope. Some independent food banks have seen dramatic increases in need for their services since the autumn of 2021. According to the Independent Food Aid Network's latest survey, 168 of 194 independent food banks saw a drop in food 
and or financial donations and with many having to dip into their financial reserves to pay for food or vouchers. Now, there was a survey that that was carried out and this also revealed that 93% of organizations reported an increase or significant increase in the need for their services since the start of 2022. More than 80% of organizations reported that they have struggled with food supply issues over the last four months. 78% of these organizations saw a drop in food and or financial donations and half of these Organizations have needed to dip into their financial reserves to pay for food or vouchers. 95% of organizations reported uh, increases, saying that the cost of living crisis is the reason behind this. Now, this particular story uh, mm. alludes to the fact that food bank teams across the UK are struggling to find the resources to cope with the levels of demand they are seeing. And this is, you know, it's just common knowledge now we're seeing we were witnessing ourselves, we see it on the news all the time, that this, uh, unfortunately, you know, is increasing mm. day by day. Food and financial donation, sorry, donations have dropped, and some food banks are having, like we said already, to dip into their financial reserves to pay for food. The situation is becoming more alarming by the day, and charitable food aid providers are running out of options. UK food banks have seen a rise in demand since the start of the year, coupled with a drop in food donations, Radio 4's Money Box research suggests. More than 100 organisations that run 203 food banks from the anti-poverty campaign Group Independent Food Aid Network were contacted. Almost all said more people were coming to them for help, while more than half reported fewer food donations. Organisers said the trend was unsustainable. They also said that they are supporting more clients for longer and helping more elderly people, ever uh, more people elderly people than ever before. I think it's a sad indictment. I've said this before. I always repeat myself that in a society like ours, you know, it's, it's sad that we have to, you know, see the increase in food banks. And uh, I think there should be more done to support you know, Joe Public. Because it's just becoming, you know, unbearable now. You hmm. see so many people having people that there's 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 new rep- news reports of people working s- two jobs, hmm. still having to go. You know, what more can yeah. someone do to provide for the family? Unfortunately, hmm. Hmm. And now, like most of the food banks, Moneybox contacted Annie Brokes Not Broken is facing a sharp increase in demand. In May 2021, it had handed out 80 food parcels. Now imagine this, in May 2022, a year later, it handed out 183. More than double. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Annie also said the period of time that they are helping clients for has lengthened. The Independent Food Aid Network, a registered charity and anti-poverty campaign group, um, helps operate food banks which tend to be run by volunteers across local communities. Yeah. Anyway, research uh, by Moneybox, um, which took place in June, heard from 116 out of 505 um, iPhone uh, food bank organizations from all parts of the UK. iPhone uh, is an independent food aid network that was mentioned earlier. Of these, 111 said they had seen an increase in users since the start of this year. The figure also showed 69 organizations, just under two-thirds, saw 
uh, fall in food donations. And uh, for some, this came alongside a, uh, a decrease in funding. Now, we do have uh, Rabia uh, Salim on the line, as far as my uh, screen is telling me. Uh, she is, serves as the Food Security Manager of UMNT First UK. Uh, thank you very much for coming on to speak to us, Rabia. No, alaikum. Jazakallah for having me. Waalaikumsalam. Can you tell us uh, something about uh, your role uh, at Humanity First, what exactly it is? Uh, yes, of course. We're a team of seven We do who do research and development, and um, there's different areas. So the area that I have been studying is food security in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many food banks does Humanity First run, and uh, how long have they been established for? Well, especially in the UK, we have two food banks currently, which is, um, so first was um, May 2021 Walsall. Uh-huh. That's the most recent one. And then the Murfield one has been running for a little bit over two years. Uh-huh. And um, apart from that, we follow the model of America and Canada, where the first food bank in Canada was 2007, which was produced by HF. Okay, okay. So, and uh, what's the main, what are the main reasons why people become dependent on food banks? Why do you think that is so? So many different reasons. Sometimes it's a temporary, uh, they come temporarily. Um, sometimes it becomes a regular thing where it's a weekly food parcel. Um, or it may be just a moment of hardship where they're having extreme economic difficulty, for example, due to COVID or due to job loss or due to... Um, due to grieving um, something or maybe loss of rent loss so any any kind of hardship economic mm-hmm. and um, is that uh, is having food banks also generating laziness among some people not wanting to work and uh, instead just relying on food banks do you think no a lot of the uh, experience that our staff have had is that the people that come are genuinely needed and they mm-hmm. only have they have a, a very simple referral process because it's quite difficult sometimes for people to accept that they need to go to a food bank and um, they don't often have people that abuse the system um, if they do then it's very very minimal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as the cost of living rises uh, reliance on food banks also increases how do food banks cope with this Food banks do rely on volunteers, in, especially in Humanity First. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of faith-based groups who are in, who are running these food banks. Um, for example, Humanity First is a faith-based group. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Trustful Trust. They also are faith-based. Um, and sort of a sense of altruism. Yeah. Um, you know, the culture as well as uh, you'll find in difficult times, we'll see in Britain as well, mm-hmm. that people do want to dig in and help. And then um, we have exposure and advertising to help um, encourage people to give to food banks. We do fundraising opportunities. Right. Um, and we also try to, um, as well, put aside something regular every year to give to food banks or especially during Ramadan for Muslims, they'll mm-hmm. increase their sadqa and, uh, in other words, um, uh, charitable donations. Hmm. Anyway, my, my colleague has some questions for you, if you don't mind. Uh, Rabia, as-salamu alaykum and good morning. Um, 
What essential food items are provided by food banks to ensure that ones in need have enough for a week? Welcome, Simon. Good morning. Um, so the essential items I did as, uh, from uh, one of our food banks, um, recently it was posted on a social media video. Uh, for one for one food parcel, um, there is um, the things that go into it. Mm. It's quite simple. Um, for one week, um, you know, because of the cost of living crisis, it is quite difficult. It's quite meager, but um, it'll be milk, cereal, biscuits, uh, chocolate bars, crisps, pasta, vegetables, and then some tinned products like soup, tuna, tea, pasta sauce, new potatoes, and spaghetti hoops. This is just an example. So the, these people have to try to live on that for a week. And it's quite difficult to mm. sort of decide how to make it and how to eat it. And, you know, I mean, it's very commendable, the, the work that you and your team are doing, and may Allah bless you all for the continued efforts. Um, but how can us, as, as listeners, how can we all effectively contribute towards uh, food banks? We can contribute with our charitable donations. We can also go and encourage, um, you know, shopping and buying a little bit of extra. They have some food bank donation areas in all supermarkets nowadays. Lidl, um, Morrison's, Tesco. So if you buy a little bit extra and then put some aside into that uh, when you're leaving um, to contribute. Um, you can also find out the local food banks in your area. You can make um, connections in the community. Um, so if you're visiting um, somewhere where they seem to have a surplus supply, you, uh, for example, a bakery, you can let them know about the work of food banks. And oftentimes they want to get rid of those things in a sustainable way. And they will look for the food bank. Mm -hmm. And is there, Rabia, is there a bigger solution to this problem? Um, it's it's about the community. Obviously, the mm. economic difficulties at the moment is what is uh, causing right. these inequalities, inequities. Um, some of the inequities are geographical, some are racial, some are economic, um, and, and it's in causing a rise in food banks. We're seeing that in Humanity First as well, that the need is increasing. Um, and clothes are even something that we've just considered that uh, we have nappies already for, for children, but we're even considering um, researching whether clothes would be something. Uh, there's a few, even uh, today I had two people contact me that the refugees needed clothes. So this is an area that we're looking at as well. Uh, so putting aside things, um, I mean, obviously this uh, in, in inequities at the moment, um, our organization Humanity First is about helping. It's about community. This is what we're about. We're about developing community programs. We're about... Um, giving back to the community and we are led by our caliph who has who gives us this guidance um, he, he told us um, in, in a recent conference that you should serve the weak, weakest with no self-interest let people know you are inspired by Islamic teachings so if, if all people kind of live by this we wouldn't be perhaps where we are now where the situation is, is, is quite difficult um, and I would encourage listeners to also read about these in uh, books such as The Great Western Revival and Islam in Europe. Mm. It's, it's wonderful the way that you describe uh, His Holiness um, saying that he should be serving uh, selflessly. Uh, tell me, what, how uh, do you get your supplies? Uh, is it through donations? Uh, yes. I mean, you don't run shops, do you? 
Yes, we, we get donations and um, our food banks are open for us for a set time each week. Uh, some people either arrange a delivery or they go and give the donations. They get a lot of donations in both food banks, but you'll be having an expert on from one of our food banks later who can go into that. Um, so it's just it's, it's about people sending money online with PayPal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we have other food programs that we're developing all the time. So, um, you know, people could be aware that there are many needs right now in, related to food. This is quite a dire situation. Right. Um, so they can give back. Um, so you mentioned that you've got um, a couple of uh, food banks. Are you planning to open up more? Uh, with the way the trend is right now, it looks like we are developing more, yeah, because the need isn't going away. Um, it, it's going to be difficult, like you were discussing about how food banks are struggling as well. Um, so this is this is going to be a challenge that we will meet, hopefully, God willing. Okay. Um, and um, how, how do you see the future? Do you think that um, things uh, will become easier for you, or do you think that there's more difficulties that lay ahead? It would be nice if we didn't have to have food banks, but... Um, at the moment, it's um, how do we meet the needs of people who can't eat, um, the homeless or, or the people that are struggling to put food on the table for their children. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is a rising um, situation at the moment. Um, and we will be looking into researching where the needs are and, ha- and how to open them in the most effective way, given on how we've run them before in the past and how effective they've been. And um, the, uh, thankfully, we haven't had a situation where they haven't had food to give to people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in the Walsall Food Bank, they had um, in March uh, about 350 uh, customers for the whole month. Right. And they were able to provide for them. Okay. Right. Remarkable. Anyway, it's uh, very noble work that you're doing, uh, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much for coming on and speaking Thank to us. Thank you so much for and, having me on. Uh, pleasure. Zakallah. Salaam alaikum. Right. Um, we, we're going to be uh, joined by Mr. Idris Yusuf as well uh, in a, a minute or so time. And uh, Idris is the store manager also of the same organization. Uh, but he uh, is the store manager for Manti First Food Bank in Murfield, mm. uh, Yorkshire, which is what uh, one of the... Uh, uh, food banks that Rabia was mentioning. Yeah. Do you know, I just wanted to briefly mention what Humanity First is. Humanity First, for those people who are not aware, is an NGO uh, that um, has been established uh, from within our community, the African Muslim community. And um, they do tremendous work globally, not just here in the UK. Mm, 1993. Current- so that's what you were looking for. What was that? The date when it was. <laughs> yes. 1993. Thank I'm you. old enough to be. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. I love you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Now, the, one of the, I think currently, you know, we, of course, we're talking about, you know, there's food banks that are operating and helping the wider community, but also the current crisis, um, the floods in Pakistan. Humanity First have got a team out there helping with the relief efforts and trying to help the communities out there. I mean, that in itself is a really, really big tragedy. You need to imagine the population of England's about 50 million, and 50 million people in Pakistan have been displaced because of these floods. And Humanity First doing tremendous work out there, you know, uh, helping society mm. and helping, and they help people regardless of 
who they are. They don't. Or, no, they're not necessarily yeah. Muslims. Regardless of colors, class, exactly. They, they, they're out there doing tremendous work serving humanity, and these these, these amazing, uh, amazing, these amazing angels, you know, like uh, Miss uh, Rabia Salim and uh, our next guest, you know, will we'll, we'll, you know just also you know explain, you know, hmm. the, the amazing work and the amazing team of volunteers. That and the unfortunate thing that I picked up from that, uh, you know, interview was that. The, the demand is there. The, the demand's increasing as well. So it look like at some point there might be a third, you know, outlet somewhere. Well, the interesting thing is the humanity mm. first is not running out of provisions to uh, to serve others. No. That's quite. That was also quite interesting. Exactly. Yes. So where other mm. uh, organisations seem to be struggling, but that's not the case. Well, with, that's uh, it. I mean, the the, U, the UK government announced a fifteen billion pound support package to help people afford rising energy bills, uh, a key driver of the cost of living crisis, but much of the funding will be targeted at 8 million of the lowest income households. I mean, the thing is, this often we talk about in, in the media, we see how there's funding here, left, right, center, but I don't think it's getting to people quick enough and it's not effective enough because the, it's not matching the rise of inflation. You know, the, mm. the, the, there's no rage, you know, rising in, in, in people's wages. Mm. That's why we, like you said uh, earlier, brother Walida, about the 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 the, the increase of, of people striking because it's just becoming unbearable. People are getting more expensive bills, and mm. uh, the food prices are going up, and mm. so on. Uh, petrol's, you know, how we, we all know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Eighty percent rise in uh, fuel bills. Well, that's well. it. Yes, that's it. And, yeah. uh, and then you haven't got the wages to match that. So mm. you know, it's interesting the way that Matthew uh, started. We it was uh, started in the wake of the uh, Balkan War. That's correct. It? Yes, and uh, it involved uh, taking uh, uh, foodstuffs mm. and provisions to uh, the victims of the the conflict in the uh, former Yugoslavia, and it's expanded to this. Uh, we still. Uh, being able to serve people in distress in all parts of the world and also uh, more locally. Anyway, we have uh, uh, the company of uh, Mr. Idris Yusuf with us. Idris is the store manager of uh, uh, Foreign first uh, bank, uh, food bank in Murphy, Yorkshire. Thank you very much, Idris, for uh, coming on to speak to us. Assalamualaikum. Okay. Well, uh, we are fine. Okay. Uh, get, uh, tell us about Murfield Food Bank. Uh, how long has been uh, operating, and uh, uh, what exactly does your role entail? Okay. Uh, my name is Idris Yusuf. I am the manager f- for the Mighty First Food Bank in Murfield in the West Yorkshire, and uh, we set up this food bank in uh, July two thousand. Uh, during the pandemic, so uh, uh, looked at uh, what was the need. As you know, that the pandemic was a quite intense uh, um, lockdown when we had, and a lot of people lost, lost their jobs. So it was inevitable to open up a, a food bank in a village in Murfield that uh, catered for the needs of every person that was uh, um, on, in lockdown. Uh-huh. And how does the the food bank get supplies to distribute? Because we were just mentioning earlier that uh, it doesn't appear to be the case that you are sh- struggling for food supplies. So how do you get your food supplies? At the moment, uh, I can see that we're going through a, such a, a 
a recession at the moment. We have links with Marks and Spencers and local uh, supermarkets that do provide us uh, um, their sort of donations. We also request that uh, the members of the community as well to donate to us as well every week. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes, uh, you know, times are hard where people are un- unable to afford to, you know, pay towards the food and, and provide, us, uh, provide us with the donations. Right. So the big, the biggest uh, contributor for ours are like all these mass suspensers co-op and every week we do our best to go and pick up bread. They give us bread, they give us cakes, they give us tin food, they give us fresh vegetables, which are few, three, four, five days before it goes out of date. And if they go out of date, then what we do, we ask the volunteers that who are who open up the food bank and able to sort out the, the, the food and then distribute it to the uh, um, to the whole clients that either walk in mm-hmm. or, or we give them or, or that's for a, a delivery. Mm. Looking at the other end, I mean, what about customers? I mean, what, what do your customers need to do to access the food bank? Can anybody well, turn uh, up? Yes, uh, we, we, we're open to all, all walks of life. Um, uh, we get referrals from GPs, we get referrals from housing housing uh, advisors, we get referrals from social workers, social care industry. Um, if you have a friend that, that requires a food bank, then obviously we ask for a benefit letter and also if the state is any accommodation, we fill out an application form with their needs and the dietary needs and also and give them a weekly food parcel every week from uh, from being they can have a, a, a food that will last them for three days and they come again so we give them food parcel every week we, we do not give them once a week you can't come back you can always come every week mm-hmm. so we don't so we don't actually um, uh, stop anybody but everybody can come from all walks of life Right. Uh, this, that's all the questions that I wanted to ask, but my colleague is bursting to ask you some <laughs> as well. So I hope you stay on and, uh, yes, and respond yes, to what he has to ask. Uh, Idris, Assalamualaikum and good morning. Welcome to The Breakfast Show. Assalamualaikum. Thank, Thank you. Thank um, you. So Idris, have you noticed any significant changes recently since the media are constantly warning us uh, about problems of high inflation? As you can see, that for the last three years, we've gone through such a very bad pandemic. Mm. And just recently as well, we're going through uh, a, a crisis where there's been, the, the cost of living has, has increased by 50%. So it has affected a lot, a lot of people and a lot of public as well that can't afford to pay, to buy food for, for their children and obviously have to cut down on the electric, electricity costs. Mm. You know, because of 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 the uh, current uh, climate, which is taking place in Russia. Mm. And what help do food banks need most uh, need most in order to meet the needs uh, of the local uh, population? What it is is that if the government uh, invests, you know, in money in the food banks, then we can see that uh, there will be, you know, such where. There's less food. There's more food coming in that we can then distribute the food to, to the public that who, who require it. Yes. But at the moment, we're asking donations from 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 every person or businesses or any um, uh, members of the of the community and also the, the the third party that we ask them to donate to us and they do, do donate to us. But at the minimum level, there should be some government backing to support the food banks, not just in the Murfield, 
but throughout uh, the, the UK. And because, you know, there is a, a dire need for this. As you know, we are the fifth or sixth richest country in the world, and the government has not helped or supported the the, the, the people of, of the food banks because it's a, it's a, such a daunting task because, you know, I know um, because uh, people who have lost their jobs, I know mm. uh, single parents, they, they've all actually, you know, come to attend the food bank and think is that uh, it's... Uh, it's something that they feel embarrassed of having uh, attending the food bank. Definitely. Um, and how can our listeners, I mean, we all you know, you know, listening with intrigue and, and are amazed and are we're so grateful for the amazing work that you're doing, but how can our listeners and ourselves help Murfield Food Bank? What can we do to to, to help the cause? It's, uh, well, just either you can donate or through the Humanity First website or obviously if you like to donate your uh, donation to extend to the food bank, you can do by all means. That's so, cool. you know, I do I do request that uh, if you want to, instead of donating the uh, donation, you can always donate food to the food bank. Brilliant. Uh, Mr. Idris Yusuf, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And again, uh, uh, hats off to you and your colleagues and your team for doing such a tremendous Please. Just, just a few so that we do have volunteers that are volunteers from the external so they come out and open the food bank and an average a month we do uh, look at that we are giving the 500 parcels a month that we do and it's increased since the last two years because of this uh, pandemic and this uh, the cost of living has gone up great okay uh, th- thank you for that uh, Idris uh, thank you may Allah bless you and, and, and reward you for the great work you're doing and Wish you a great day. Assalamu alaikum and peace be upon you. Welcome, Assalam. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, what was he saying about this? Five hundred pounds? I didn't catch that. The, um, they were saying. No, he was saying five hundred uh, parcels are uh, distributed. Five hundred parcels. Yes. Are yes. distributed a day. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we, yes, we we are hoping to be joined by another uh, uh, worker in uh, food banks, Mr. Andy Payne. Uh, he's uh, a food bank manager and financial inclusion coordinator at St. Austell uh, at that food bank. And that food bank is located in Cornwall. So mm. we'll be hearing from him very soon, hopefully. Mm. Um, what else, uh, What would you like to say? Uh, you've always uh, never short of words. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, think I know you want to say something. The thing is, you know, I think... I think the, what what was clear from all the guests that we've spoken to this morning with regards to these uh, food banks, Miss um, Rabia Salim and Mr. Idris Yusuf, is that you know these we might not think that you know that uh, you know that it, we might think that it's a difficult thing to do, but if we're buying shopping for ourselves to buy one or two extra cans of 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 tinned food, for example or essential items, it's not, I think, a big ask on our part. We spend more than that, and a lot of people know, you know, you're going out to work, you spend more on, on coffee, all right, in a day, cups of tea that you're spending. So if I think if everyone contributes, everyone can contribute, and then if everyone does, plays their part and helps a little bit, you know, we can, you know, God willing, help our, our, our the colleagues there. Yeah, mm. yeah. And also, I mean, also in supermarkets, it, it doesn't cost. I mean, you all see, we all all quite well aware of all the major supermarkets out there. They all have collection points and donation points. So again, when we are shopping, it shouldn't be too much of us, you know, to give okay. something. Okay, I mean, I think that's a good uh, prompt for for people to start 
donating if they aren't already mm. or to donate more if they are yes. uh, to food banks because they do uh, something that's very worthy. Uh, um, Andy, um, as I mentioned before, uh, is with us now, Andy Payne. Uh, thank you very much for coming on uh, to speak to us, uh, Mr. Payne. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh, now, uh, I did mention uh, when introducing you that uh, you are the Food Bank Manager and Financial Inclusion Coordinator. I'll be very interested to know what Financial Inclusion Coordinator does. What is it? What is the role of Financial Inclusion Coordinator? Right, so um, it's a new role. So uh, I manage the um, St. Austell Food Bank and um, the financial inclusion coordinator part is making sure that anyone in the community has sort of access to um, financial and resources. So what we'll be starting alongside our food bank is um, a Christians Against uh, Poverty Life Skills course. Mm-hmm. which is an eight-week course, uh, once a week for an hour and a half, just talking through, uh, showing people how to budget, um, get them to write down for a full week all the money they've spent, and then at the end of that week, get them to look at that and say, so was that an essential? Was that something you needed to do? Um, just to get them to think of their spending, uh, looking at how to cook on a budget, um, how to shop uh, a meal plan, uh, what's a healthy balanced meal plan in the first place, and then we've got three weeks of sort of um, mental health and well-being. Because mm-hmm. it's great being able to um, offer the emergency food parcels, but if nothing's actually done to look at potentially why they're in that situation, we're just going to keep the cycle going. So um, it's really exciting, uh, and we're starting that first course uh, in about a week and a half's time. So is that part of the remit that falls within Financial Inclusion Coordinator then? It does, absolutely, uh-huh. yeah, okay. yeah, right. yeah, um, okay. which is great. Okay. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, the location, uh, St. Austell. Where yeah. is it, and what areas do you serve? Uh, yeah, so it's in... Um, as far as you can get away really um it's in cornwall um um, i'm um sat looking at lovely blue sky this morning Mm -hmm. and st austell is one of the larger towns in cornwall we've got a population normally of sort of just over twenty thousand, but it's got lots of little um uh villages surrounding Mm -hmm. it um it used to be massive clay works mm-hmm. um so it had a lot of stuff like that um it does a lot of hospitality jobs a lot of seasonal jobs there's a lot of um um what's the word um second home owners here mm-hmm. so quite a lot of the local population aren't particularly happy with with that and the house prices go up so there is a mm. lot of deprivation, ah. um, a lot of deprivation here. Mm. Yeah. But is, is, it sounds like a lovely area, uh, Doc Martin is. territory, is it? It is, mm-hmm. um, and from where I'm sat, it's about two miles to uh, Charlestown Harbour, uh-huh. which did a lot of the filming of um, uh, Poldark, so uh-huh. for any Poldark fans out there, uh-huh. and any sort of old ship um, films, a lot was based there and there's about 10 lovely beaches within about a 10 minute drive so yeah it's lovely 
<laughs> right. I think my me and my co-host may be may be wanting to move yes, there. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, coming back to the food bank itself. Yeah. How, how long has that been running? So um, that's been going through uh, since 2010. Mm-hmm. So it started in um, a little shop um, and now is actually part uh, of the church where I am, which um, is the Light and Life Church, uh, which is part of the Three Free Methodist Association. Um, yeah, so we've been here 12 years now. Uh, we, we open three afternoons a week. Um, we've got a satellite centres in a little village called St Stephen's that does one afternoon and another one in a little village called um, Roach, which again does one afternoon a week. And mm-hmm. we've got about 45 to uh, 50 volunteers, all mm-hmm. in all, that do a variety of, of roles, which is brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Um, You mentioned uh, your role as a financial inclusion coordinator and what that entails. What about your role as a manager? Uh, What are your main responsibilities as a manager of this food bank? Absolutely. Um, So I think there's four real main things. Um, First of all is the ongoing thing of trying to make sure that we have um, enough food in to actually give out. Um, Just over 99% of all the food that we give out is donated so we um, need to make sure that we're um, on top of all the supermarkets all our, the local charities that give us things, loads of local churches um, yeah um, okay. lots of individuals um, the second thing is making sure that we've always got enough of the volunteers third thing is that because we're part of the Trussell Trust Food Bank um Network and they've got about thirteen, fourteen hundred. We are based on a referral system, so people can contact for us about fifty different referral agencies who will give them that code, and that can be job centres, uh, local GPs, schools, charities, churches, um, social services. And the fourth bit is making sure that it's not just about us giving out. Um, the money we're trying uh, the food sorry we're uh, trying to get to the root cause of actually why it's happening in the first place so we will sit down with them try and signpost um, how are they accessing uh, all the benefits which they can etc oh right okay great Mm. my colleague has a question as well Um, all right yeah thank you just uh, one last question before we let you go what changes have you noticed during the pandemic and after yeah, I think it used to be your, stereoty- um, your stereotypical, it was probably a single man on his own who was coming in that had had a change of circumstances. Now we're seeing a complete range. We're seeing working families, you know, that um, are working, but because of the income is low, they either have to think, do we put the heating on or um, do, we, do we feed? the kids um we've got lots of people that are yeah uh, in families now so um i did a quick look as of yesterday and the number of vouchers who are referred into us compared to last year has gone up 46 percent um and the amount of people that actually means we're feeding in that same period has gone up um 48 percent so 
the demand just keeps going up. Um, mm. Excellent. Uh, Andy, uh, thank you so much for, for, for your time. And, I mean, excellent for, yeah. the, for the work you're doing. Is it sad that the, the, you know, the, there is an increase in uh, demand for it? But um, I'm sure, no doubt, you'll be able to cater for the community at large. And, again, uh, thank you for all the hard work. And thank you for coming on to The Voice of Islam Absolutely. this morning. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, thank, no problem at all. Thank okay, you. Have a good day. Have a Cheers, great day. Thank, thank you, you, Andy. Take Cheers. care. Bye. Bye. Right. Um, we can, we've got some time just for a brief uh, uh, take from an Islamic point of view. Yes, I mean, you know, the, you know, it says in the Holy Quran in, uh, in chapter 41, verse 11, it says that um, uh, Allah the Almighty says, He placed therein firm mountains rising above its surface and blessed it with abundance and provided therein its food in proper measure in four days alike for all seekers. So this is a Quranic declaration of the earth's capability to afford maximum food for humanity uh, is preeminently reassuring. You know, commenting on the above verse in his uh, in this Quranic uh, exegesis, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizar Barshiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad, peace be upon him, expounds, the words provided uh, its food in proper measure signify that the earth is fully capable of providing food for all the creatures that live on it. The, the expression, alike for all seekers, may signify that the foods which God has provided in the earth are equally accessible to all seekers who try to get them according to the laws of nature. It may also mean that all the physical needs and requirements of men or of man have been adequately met in the food, foods that grow out of earth. So the fear that the earth may not someday be able to grow sufficient food for the fast increasing population of the world is groundless. Yes. And the Quran declares it is provided for thee that thou will not hunger therein, nor will thou be naked, and thou will not thirst therein, now wilt thou be exposed to the sun. Uh, this is also a verse in the Holy Quran and in his book, uh, Islam's response to contemporary issues, the fourth caliph, the Amdi Muslim Committee, as Mr. Tayyamad noted that Islam establishes minimum rights in the form of four-point charter by deeming, defining the basic needs which a state should procure, food, clothing, water and shelter. Governments have both national and international responsibilities. These responsibilities on the national level are to fulfill the basic needs of each member of society by ensuring that all are fed adequately, clothed and provided with water and shelter. The international duty is to fully participate in pooling resources to meet the challenges of wide-scale natural disasters or man-made calamities and to help such countries as are by themselves incapable of appropriately handling the crisis. As such, it is the duty of the state to set the matters aright by transferring back to the beggars and poor people that truly belongs to them. So the four fundamental requirements, food, clothing, water and shelter, will have preference over all other considerations. It should be noted that many hungry people live in countries with food surpluses, not food mm. shortages. The issue largely is that the people who need food the most simply do not have steady access to it. In this context, it is therefore the responsibility of governments to put in place social security, infrastructure and systems that would facilitate food accessibility, particularly 
for the poverty-stricken citizens. Okay, so that's uh, all we have time for. Uh, the nine o'clock uh, news beckons. It leaves us to thank uh, people who have participated in the preparation of this particular broadcast. And Mr. Banu mentioned them before. Uh, producer Nergis Nasser, uh, researcher Salia Bakhtiar, Neha Latif, Hannah Emma, then Kutsi Award, and our intrepid uh, engineer in the attack room, making sure everything yes, ran smoothly. And with that, Assalamu alaikum from me and as in the Turonis say, Assalamu alaikum from him. <laughs> Until next time.